T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. This time on Vet Story. We'll find out that If you're a veteran, it's likely you've already had toxic exposure. A lot of post 9-11 veterans, we don't always know what our various toxic exposures are. And we're seeing civilian doctors, so we're getting sick and it's not being recognized. Other things out there besides the burn pits. Toxic chemicals, uh, parasites. All the chemicals that we use to de-ice the planes. The uniforms being laced with herbicides or pesticides in there. Yeah, there's like globs of mustard gas chemicals still in the grass there. Well, the dust over in the big sandbox. Or those chemicals go into the, the groundwater and contaminate it. Some of the chemicals that uh, he used got into his eyes, and he's now blind. Oh, Those are the kinds of things we want to bring to the attention of the younger vets. Welcome to another episode of Vet Story. I'm your host, Phil Briggs. And spoiler alert, you didn't have to have served in a combat zone to run the risk of some kind of toxic exposure. Our guest today will go back in time and tell us a little bit about how many of us may have been exposed to something. My name is Maureen Elias, and I'm the Assistant Director of the Veterans Health Council of Vietnam Veterans of America. I'm Dr. Tom Berger. I'm the Executive Director of the Veterans Health Council at Vietnam Veterans of America. Maureen, Doc, thank you for joining us on Vet Story today. Thank you it's for having great us. great to be here. Now, we're talking about something that I know very little about, and normally I try to be as prepared as I can for each and every interview, and this topic, I actually Googled some things on it. Not even, there's not even a lot written on what is being called the Agent Orange of our era, but talk to me a little bit about what we're going to get into today. So, a lot of post-9-11 veterans, we don't always know what our various toxic exposures are. Everyone's heard about burn pits, um, at least a little bit, but we don't always understand what those complications are. But there's actually a lot of different toxic exposures that we don't know about that we need to be aware about because a lot of us aren't seeing the VA for our health care and we're seeing civilian doctors. And so, if we don't know about our toxic exposures... Our doctors certainly don't know about our toxic exposures, so we're getting sick and it's not being recognized, and so we're not getting the treatment that we need. So there are lots of lots of other things out there besides the burn pits. For example, there's the pleated uranium. Um, there's infectious diseases, of course. Radiation exposure, uh, toxic chemicals, uh, the whole story about the uh, uniforms being laced with uh, herbicides or pesticides in the earliest days of the war. Inhaled Irritants, for example, the dust over in the big sandbox is so fine that it can clog up your little alveoli in your lungs where the transfer of oxygen to blood takes place. There's insulation materials. There's things like um, parasites, uh, leishmaniasis, which uh, Kabul is the leishmaniasis capital of the world because they haven't got any kind of centralized a sanitation system, so all the flies 
just are everywhere. So those are the kinds of things we want to bring to the attention of the younger vets. And of course, using the history of Agent Orange and other kinds of exposures uh, in the Vietnam veterans community, it's a natural fit. Before we look ahead, because you've given me a lot to think about, talk to me about where we come from in our services. You served in the Army. Correct. You were in the Navy, sir. Thank you very much. Go Navy. Tell me a little bit about your service background first. Um, so I served from 2001 to 2006. I was a counterintelligence agent. Um, and oftentimes when I get asked for pictures of, of me in uniform, I don't have many because I was on a civilian clothing assignment. Oh. So, yeah. So, you know, I, I really enjoyed my time in the service. The job that I did, while it wasn't as cool as James Bond, was a lot of fun. And a linguist specifically, right? You were, yeah, I, uh, I had a Korean language, yeah. Wow, very good. Doc, you have a storied background. Tell me just a little bit about... Uh, yeah, I was uh, drafted out of college. I wasn't uh, in 1965, wasn't carrying enough um, college hours. So um, anyway, I joined the Navy. Um, my father was a Pacific Marine wounded at Tarawa, and my mother was a Navy trauma nurse who uh, met my father uh, as he was recovering, and that's why I'm here. <laughs> anyway, um, so I got drafted, joined the Navy, and um, signed up to be a Navy corpsman. Well, at the time, I didn't realize um, what Navy corpsman uh, did uh, until I got home that evening, of course, after signing up when my father liked to beat the hell out of me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because it sounds like a cushy job. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds, sounds like you're going to work in a hospital. Right, and pick up a few skills here and there, and, and you know. Anyway, uh, out of my corpsman class, 31 out of 33 of us went to the Marines, and I ended up with third recon. Um, off and on between uh, 19, October of 66 and October of 68. Um, I said several times off and on because I was uh, wounded on th on three different occasions. So, And the other thing was, of course, uh, Marines and the corpsmen uh, in Vietnam had 13-month tours as opposed to the Army tours which were one year 12 months wow so and you say wounded uh there i mean you yeah i had a you, couple of well, the first one was just about thanksgiving time in 66 i was in a bunker and we took a couple of rockets and the bunker came down and so my shoulder was broken it took them a couple of hours to, to dig me out but they did and then the other two were gunshot wounds mm. Mm. well it goes without saying that we honor and thank you for everything you've done. And uh, I wanted to kind of clear up the backgrounds because it kind of puts us all in context now. I know as we look back at the 1960s, we all are familiar with the stories, mm -hmm. the deforestation agents that were poured into the jungles and uh, Agent Orange. And then there were decades that went by where, as you'd mentioned earlier, the young guys getting out of the service felt invincible. I mean, if you could survive there, and you in particular, sir, you could manage to get <laughs> shot a couple times and live to tell about it. Um, you know, you probably felt like there was never going to be anything wrong with your health. That's right. The, the worst thing was, uh, you know, people, some people, women in particular, uh, commenting on scars. Or in the case of uh, my shoulder, my shoulder pops out of place every once in a while. And there are circumstances when that happened and it was kind of embarrassing. So I'm not anyway, we'll, ask we'll stop. We'll stop there. <laughs> I knew I liked you when you walked in. He's, 
He's leaving a lot out of that story, but uh, I'm in, I'm picking up what you're putting down. <laughs> Take me now to where we get involved with these toxic exposures. I kind of see where it's rooted with your era of service, Doc, but tell me a little bit about how you got involved. In January of 2017, I was selected for the first class of the High Ground Veteran Advocacy Fellowship. Okay. Um, founded by Christopher Goldsmith, Steve Atchison, um, David Anderson, uh, Alex McCoy, and... Thomas um, Burke, who has recently been on CNN talking about his experiences in the war, but his was more uh, with a mental health um, concern. Um, Before that, I didn't actually know what advocacy was at all, uh, but I thought it sounded really cool and I wanted to try it out. Um, So that was kind of the launching point for my career. And I was just finishing up my degree. I got a master's in mental health counseling and she graduated this December. And uh, during my work, while I was getting my degree, uh, Dr. Berger um, kind of liked what I was putting out there in the in the space and brought me on part-time. And then once I came on full-time, I was brought on board to the Toxic Exposure Awareness Campaign that we're, we're working with um, TAPS and Wounded Warrior Project to help raise awareness for. And uh, once, I, once I realized how little our generation of veterans knows about toxic exposures, it became immediately important to me to start spreading the word. And let's jump forward into that now. Okay. Um, toxic exposures. And I think a lot of people think of burn pits when mm-hmm. they think of this, or they think of maybe ordinance that mm-hmm. they were really close to. And that seems to be a very proportionately small amount of military members because certainly there's far more people in support and logistics mm-hmm. in the military than there are tip of the spear, you know, right there in the combat area. Yeah. Um, first, define for me kind of the big picture of what a toxic exposure is. So, you know, in the big picture, we're not just talking about those that, that deployed or went to a war zone. You know, we're talking about there, there's 141 military bases that are super fun sites because of their high levels of, of toxicity. Um, there's also... For example, give me like one maybe off the top of your head that um, you can think of. The, the Aberdeen Proving Grounds has like three or four different chemicals that they're still cleaning up from World War II. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there's like globs of mustard gas chemicals still in the grass there. I mean, it's... It's surprising when when you go to the websites and you see how many are listed. It, it's just eye opening. And then, you know, um, John Rowan, our the president of EVA, one of his biggest um, concerns right now is all the chemicals that we use to de-ice the planes. Um, oh wow! And also the chemicals used to put out the flames of the planes because that water or those chemicals go into the the groundwater and contaminate it. Wow! Incredibly good examples. I mean, those are things I just never would have thought of. Looking at military service is sort of looking like um, occupational hazards, okay? Because it's not just getting shot, okay? (laughs) Which is, yeah, it's a big concern. But it's the everyday work, um, being exposed to benzene. I don't know. You said uh, earlier on um, when we first got together that you're a carrier guy. Okay, I bet you were exposed to JP4, JP5, whatever they were using it, the aircraft. Uh, In fact, so often we used to have a little phrase that we'd say when we'd go out to the flight deck or the smoke deck early in the morning and flight ops had already started or they were getting ready for it. And we'd say to ourselves with a chuckle, quoting the Apocalypse Now movie, I love the smell of JP5 (laughs) in the morning. That's right. Because it's like you would, the air was just rich with it. That's right. We lived on an airport. So, I mean, and there's stuff you, until I brought it up just now, you probably never even thought about. There's other chemicals. 
that are used uh, just, you know, in the routine maintenance of, of aircraft that um, can be hazardous uh, to your health. I have a good friend uh, who, uh, unfortunately, he was an aircraft mechanic, um, and some of the chemicals that uh, he used uh, actually, uh, there was an accident and um, got into his eyes, and he's now blind. So, I mean, yeah, hazardous, hazardous duty. Now, I got to admit, as we were recording this, I literally in my mind stopped in my tracks right there. To think that toxic exposures can affect a veteran who didn't even go very far from home. National Guard members that served their entire tours stateside. Vets like me who deployed to the fleet and were stationed on the relative safety of a ship or a sub. And then I got to wondering, what about those that were stationed overseas? You know, that did go to a forward operating base. What kind of hell do they have to pay? What sort of toxic exposures are derived from serving overseas in, okay. in a war zone? So if we're talking specifically about the burn pits, the, the there's a couple of issues there. One is the chemicals that were coming out of the burn pit. So a lot of times those burn pits were fueled with JP8, which is, mm. is definitely a, a toxic chemical. And then, um, you know, they were burning tires. There was a picture we have where they burned like an entire vehicle. Uh, and then... There's all the plastic bottles, all the um, different... And when you burn the plastics, one of the outcomes of that burning is dioxin. Agent Orange. Really? So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's... Uh, it's not all plastics, but it's some of the plastics that when heated uh, to a high enough uh, temperature, uh, one of the remaining compounds is dioxin. So... Mm. Um, and then, you know, Dr. Berger talked about particulate matter. And yeah, she a lot of me people. Those. That was really interesting. Yeah, a lot of people think they might be sick from the burn pits, but the particulate matter, um, it, it, they have a much different rating uh, overseas than we do here as far as the size of particles that can be in the air. And the particles are just so big that they clog up your lungs. And so it may not be from the chemicals in the burn pit that you are sick. It could be, it could be both, or it could be the, the particulate matter in the air that you've inhaled. Wow, and uh, along with that, you know, there's there's minerals in the dust over there, um, and th- that can contribute also to respiratory kinds of problems. And specifically, when they when we inhale them, we might not notice it immediately because they're stuck in where did you say the alveoli? Uh, the the or? alveoli, and they actually form concretions. I know probably at least a dozen of the OIF OEF vets who, I mean, they ran marathons for fun, and that's crazy, I know. <laughs> right. Uh, or at least idea, at my right? age, it's crazy. <laughs> in any case, uh, after serving one or two turn, uh, tours over in the big sandbox, they came back, and now they are huffing and puffing, just walking up the steps. And it's because of inhaling uh, that, that dust um, to the point where their their lungs aren't able to take in and transfer the oxygen to their blood system because they got these little concretions in their VLI. Okay, so it sounds like if you served in the last four decades, right? Yes. you could have been exposed to something even if you weren't even aware that there was something to be exposed to, right. like my service on a ship, for instance. Right. Mm-hmm. The first yeah. thing you need to do in terms of advice is make sure when you're separated, you got a copy of all your medical records. Okay. Okay, and... Actually, any records that show where you have been stationed, okay? 
Because as Maureen was saying, all right, there's no way at the present time that if you use the VA that they can tell whether the three of us who may have the same cancer because we served in the same place, they can't connect it at the present time. So what we're asking, actually we've been demanding uh, this of the VA for the last several years, is that they ask the the first question, of course, is, did you ever serve in the U.S. military? And there's a reason for asking that question because in this day and age, there are cohorts of veterans, women veterans, for example, and, and male veterans who just serve. They don't serve in the combat zone. They're, they feel guilty, and so they don't ask, answer the question, are you a veteran? But if you say, did you ever serve in the military, they'll answer that question. Anyway, that's the first question. If the answer is yes, where, when, and what was your MOS? Now, just for an example, a Navy corpsman, and because of my duty in the field with the Marines, I have high risk. I am still at high risk for hep C. So every year when I do my physical exam, I get tested for hep C because it's one of those diseases that can remain hidden in my body for years and just suddenly show up. And we all know what happens if you, you're not diagnosed and it gets to be, you know, chronic and what have you, you can die from it. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. anyway, that's, that's an example of what we're talking about here. So get a copy of all your records, particularly your health records. And we don't know what some of the, uh, uh, after effects or long-term effects of the chemicals that the young people are being exposed to, what the long-term effects are going to be. So it's really important, uh, that number one, you keep track of your records and you also check in with places like the Veterans Health Council's website to see what's new and what they're finding out uh, about your exposures to this because maybe later on in your life you're going to need to either file a claim with the VA or to seek treatment through your private health care plan for some disease that's service-connected. So the moral of the story is if you served Make sure you have your DD-214 and your medical records. The VA can help you out there. Next, inform your primary care doctor about your service and deployment details. It's especially important if you're using a doctor outside of the VA, as civilian doctors may have little insight into how these toxic exposures could be part of your service history. Next, and although it seems like it's a labyrinth to get through, consult the VA's website and find the various toxic exposure lists. You want to ensure that you're registered and represented in their database. This may not be as much about treating what's going on with your health now as preparing you for the future and any possible illnesses you might encounter down the road. So if you feel that you've had toxic exposure, you can begin this information journey all with one simple step at one website. We are um, the Veterans Health Council at Vietnam Veterans of America, and our website is veteranshealth.net. And then uh, Vietnam Veterans of America actually has, uh, if you want to know more about Agent Orange, um, then I would suggest you go to the VVA website, which is vva.org. 
And, and we should also mention, um, if you do want to file a claim on your toxic exposure, uh, Vietnam Veterans of America does has veteran service officers that will help you file that claim. Um, you don't have to be a Vietnam veteran. All era veterans are welcome to use that service, um, and they have a pretty high success rate. So they've been through this battle with Agent Orange, and they're ready to help us with our battle with uh, toxic exposures. Great to know. And uh, you know what? Let's wrap on the fact that it's a very interesting day. We're recording this podcast, too, as it is the, uh, I, I want to say, the, the second ever Vietnam War Memorial Day. So to you, Doc, happy Vietnam War Memorial Day. Uh, you didn't get a parade in the 60s, damn it, but I'll give you one right now. And Well, thank you. Thank you. I have to say that there are times when I'm bitter about that. But the fact of the matter is, I think in the, 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 the from the global perspective, if we can inform the younger generation of what they need to do relative to their health care, that, that's what, what it's all about. Yeah, and you'd said it actually is in keeping with the mantra of the Vietnam Veterans right. Association, which was... Never again shall one generation of American veterans abandon another. And special thanks to Credence Clearwater Revival, John Fogarty, Fantasy Records, and the album from 1969, Willie and the Poor Boys, featuring one of Dr. Tom Berger's favorite songs, Fortunate Son. Special thanks to Maureen Elias and Dr. Tom Berger. You can follow up by looking at websites like veteranshealth.net, woundedwarriorproject.org, and the Tragedy Assistance Program for Survivors, taps.org has information and special programs just for this. Until next time, I'm Phil Briggs, and I'll talk to you again on Vet Story. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.